Sometimes when you're driving down the road all by yourself, you begin to hear a voice that tells you you need to look around, pay attention. Maybe something isn't quite right. That voice is me. It's the voice of Gord. G'day everybody and welcome to another episode of Voice of Gord. Been a little while. Didn't get an episode out the door last week. The time bandits have been relentless, and it's been very difficult for me to work on anything that's not immediately related to trucking or my family. Just been swamped. But thank you for your patience. Today's episode will be uh, very highly enjoyable. For those of you who pay attention to the labor market economic side of trucking, I'm going to be speaking with a gentleman who used to work at a state-level employment agency of sorts, uh, helping those who are unemployed find jobs, find them training, place them in positions, and find funding for them through the government. And he's going to explain to us how all of that works and contributes to something I bang on about quite a bit, which is driver retention and the fake driver shortage narrative. A whole book could be written on that particular subject, but we'll set that aside for now. I have a few more shows recorded and hopefully find some time to edit them and get them to you soon. I've got a few writing ideas. Again, when the time bandits let up and I I get the chance to sit down and bang some things out, I have a few things in the works. And it looks like it's going to be slowing down here at work along with the rest of the economy. So maybe you'll be seeing and hearing more from me soon. I know things are tough out there. Every time I log on Twitter, it seems like there's more bad news from the economy as a whole and in trucking in particular. And I hope this episode, if anything, goes some way to letting our government representatives know that they don't need to be spending any more money training more truck drivers. We're awash in them. And every time the economy shakes out like this, truckers are the ones that get hit. Our wages are artificially suppressed. And the whole thing needs to stop. Joe's going to shine a light on one particular pathway and how this works. And I, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. As always, I don't charge. I have no sponsors. This show is a gift to you, my fellow drivers, and anybody else that's interested in listening to this. All that I ask is that you pass it around, share it. If you know another trucker, give it to them, tell them about it, point them to my show. This is for you guys, something to listen to while you're going down the road. I hope you all enjoy it, and here we go with Joe. (laughs) Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Voice of Gord. I'm Gord, this is my voice. The other voice you're going to hear today is of a friend I've met online, become well acquainted with. Uh, His name is Joe, and he has some insight into a particular subject matter I bang on about quite a bit, which is the retention problem in trucking and how that is affected in various ways. 
Joe works in local government and has spent some time in placing people in jobs and various human resources positions. And it's going to help help us figure out what's going on with where the government keeps trying to force bodies into the bottom end of the trucking business. Good morning, Joe. Morning, Gord. How's it going, brother? Oh, not too bad. It's Sunday, got my coffee on. I see you have yours as well. That's Cheers. right. Cheers. Cheers. Never a day without. No, sir. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure listening to you talk. I mean, uh, my my connection to this world of trucking is pretty uh, tangential. You know, I mean, it's it's I I I've never driven commercially. I only know a couple of people in my life that have had commercial driver's licenses. But you know, it's it's clearly such an important area to to have uh, examination and uh, and and it's it's great that you're bringing light to it. Right. Well, we do eat. We do like our morning coffee. And maybe the cream and sugar that goes in it and all of that stuff at some one point or another was on a truck or involved in supply chains in some description. So had a weird interaction yesterday online, some random woman who decided to express that she wished for Elon Musk to automate all the trucks and put all the truckers out of work, which was hilarious because I went and looked at her profile and she said she was a labor lawyer. So, you know, if you want all of your potential clients to be put out of a job, that's that's an interesting, logical <laughs> supposition. It's uh, as, as our uh, a wise man once said, these people are sick. <laughs> <laughs> and they are. These people are sick. <laughs> so where, where are you joining us from this morning? I'm in the uh, Baltimore metro area. And uh, at the moment, I'm in my little home office Uh with uh, guitars on the wall and a lot of clutter in the corner. Yeah, many such cases. I'm in my back room here, and there's kids' clothes and boots, and we haven't we haven't transitioned from winter wardrobe yet. So we're in that shoulder season where we don't know if it might yet snow one more time. So we uh, a lot of that stuff hasn't been put away. Although I imagine yeah. Baltimore being quite a bit south of where I am, you guys are pretty solidly into spring now. Yeah, I think we're we're a uh, uh, so they they, they uh, one of the ways to look at climate is is crop planting zones, and I'm pretty sure we're too south of you. I, I think I know like uh, there's like a bump that goes up over into into the middle of south south central uh, Pennsylvania, and we're kind of in in that same zone. So yeah, spring seems to hit us a, a good bit sooner uh, than you're in what central New York. I know I remember Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, so I, I I'm near Ithaca. Which Ithaca, is that's it. It's basically, okay. basically, almost smack in the middle. Uh, I'm 65 miles south southwest of Syracuse, and I got you. 26 miles. Yeah, I got family from, in Syracuse. Yeah, I'm 26 miles from Cortland, which is the hometown of Mr. Ronnie James Dio. As a guitarist and musician, I'm sure you're well familiar. We're okay. So you're in Baltimore. Are you from there originally? Are you born and raised? Like, what's your life story? Oh gosh, uh, my life story. Well, I, I'm I'm from not not far from here, uh, South Central Pennsylvania originally. Uh, so sort of near the, the state capital that area, and then uh, went to school in the western part of Pennsylvania. Ended up uh, ended up here because this is where uh, my my lady wife found employment in this this area, and uh, I eventually found employment here too. You know, to a great extent, my life story is uh, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with myself. (laughs) (laughs) I spent long periods. I've spent long periods partially employed or uh, uh, or unemployed, as the case may be. And uh, 
yeah, the thing that finally got my my mind on track was realizing that that struggle should define what I do in some way, you know, that like, like that is my calling is helping others with matters related to employment. And so that's why I ended up in, uh, you know, originally, uh, you know, I was a little at a little uh, uh, like a little nonprofit uh, helping people find work. Uh, and that was after a rather like probably my longest period of unemployment ever. I, I got laid off from from a, a very well paying job that was like soul crushing. <laughs> it was like the ultimate in, in like uh, trade off, you know, like, oh, man, this is this pays pretty well. But it also makes me like every day I go to work, I'm I'm lo- like uh, with the, the, the Princess Bride. I've just taken a year off your life, you know. Uh, anyway, I went from that to working at this little nonprofit where it was absolute joy to go every day. Uh, I was helping people get enough to eat. I was helping people uh, look for work. I was helping people apply to jobs and that kind of thing. And that's when I realized I was like, this is what I was meant to do. Like my struggles define my, my past struggles to, to figure out what I'm going to do, define helping or de- define my, my mission, my my, uh, my my calling to to help people find work. And so I did that for a little while at this little charity. And then after after I did that for a while, I realized, well, I got to make more money than than the nonprofit sector can can make me. Because uh, when you're doing actual charity helping people, the nonprofit sector is not very lucrative. Uh, you have to find some kind of boutique cause in the nonprofit area. I don't know, some, some kind of like uh, awareness research or something like that. Anyway, so that's when I decided, oh, I'll, I'll move into into like local government. And that's how I've kind of landed where I am now. There's one old adage there I thought of immediately. I don't know. Maybe it's just an old cliche, but uh, those who cannot do teach. Uh, That's, yeah. I never thought about looking at it that way, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you can't figure out how to do it yourself, you might as well teach other people how to not do it. <laughs> when I was younger, I guess this speaks to the particular case I was from. And, you know, my parents split up when I was a kid and, my mom probably wasn't the most functional person on earth. You find that a lot of people who become social workers came from backgrounds where they needed social workers around. Yep. And we'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. It, well, it, I studied psych in graduate school. Uh, that was what I studied. Was uh, was you know various. Uh, well, yeah. I wasn't studying the head doctor kind of psych, but I went to school with a lot of people that did. And yeah, it is absolutely true that a lot of the people that are going into being head doctors, they got their own issues. And the, the upside of that is they they are part of their training is that they're in therapy from day one while, while they're studying to become therapists. They're all supposed to be in therapy as well. So it's interesting. You mentioned that when you hang around on Twitter and certain parts of the Internet long enough, you run into fringy dissident communities and fun little corners where you get everything under the sun. And there's quite a few people who are pretty skeptical of therapy and think that it's a a, a replacement for other older and traditional forms of kind of mental health social assistance that's based in a faith community. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And um, I, I don't, I, I don't know what you, do you have any opinions on that? Well, you know, I uh, I am a, a practicing Catholic. I'm I'm bad at it, but I, I'm still practicing. <laughs> so I I'm, I'm I'm definitely receptive to to the you know sort of the, the tension between the two. Uh, I think anytime you try to replace uh, faith or a faith experience with you know something that isn't 
isn't really grounded in any kind of uh, in any kind of faith or theology or anything, I think you're going to run into trouble. So if you try to make science into your religion, if you try to make uh, you know therapy into into your religion or whatever, you're going to run into trouble because you're you're essentially trying to use the wrong tool for the job. I mean, one of my favorite lessons was my my old scoutmaster back when I was a little kid said uh, he saw me. Uh, we were building birdhouses. And he saw me hitting something with the, the, the heel of my hand. He saw me hitting the, the wood with it. He grabbed my wrist. He said, Joe, never use your hand as a hammer. You know, he was he was this very Renaissance man kind of guy. Uh, he was a con- like a uh, not a contractor. He was a carpenter. He was like a like a craftsman carpenter, but also had gone to school for, uh, you know, for how to teach English and stuff like that. What he meant was, yeah, literally don't use your hand as a hammer. But he also meant, uh, you know, the you you or use use the right tool for the job you know so it's it's in the literal sense but also figuratively you know i mean if if you're trying to resolve issues of the the sort of the spirit or the soul or whatever you want to call that then you should apply religion to that but you know if you're trying to if you're trying to resolve issues like that there's no reason to to, to you know uh or you're going to you're going to get worse results if you apply religious or not I'm sorry not religious uh like uh, therapeutic and, and scientific principles to matters of the spirit and soul you're going to run into trouble with that because it's it's just not the right tool for the job. And in terms of therapy, I'm sorry I have a lot of thoughts. I do have a lot of thoughts on this Gord. Um but Go for uh, in terms of therapy uh so uh I went to school like I said with, with a lot of people that were studying to become therapists. Uh I never took any of those classes. Uh I wasn't smart enough to get into them to be honest with you. Therapy at its core, uh, the most effective kind of therapy, from what I understand, is essentially the the, the good therapist or, or whatever clinician or whatever is a mirror that reflects what they see and hear from the uh, the the client patient, whatever the right word for it is these days. They're, they're reflecting, and and in in seeing the reflection of oneself, that the uh, the 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 patient. Again, I don't know the politically correct term for this anymore. For a while, it was patient. Then it was client. Then it was consumer, which that's. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah the implica- the implications of that choice of term <laughs> are oh terrible. Yeah. But anyway, uh, but but the idea is that person, by, by, by seeing the reflection of who they are, they will, through their innate goodness, improve. And they'll, they'll help to, it'll help them to resolve their issues. So, and it's not just, you know, obviously not repeating what someone says to you in, in you know, uh, it, it, this this is again in my limited understanding of like quote unquote good therapy, but it's that uh, you know someone will vomit forth like 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 a, a thousand words about what they're struggling with, and the good therapist takes that and condenses it into like maybe twenty words. So now instead of this overwhelming volume of of information, the the the, the patient can say they can wrap their head around 20 words or maybe 10 words, you know, that, 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 that allows them to better understand what they're feeling, thinking, et cetera. I, I do think there, there's a lot more therapy in a good hard day's work than there is in, in uh, an hour of, of talking to somebody. Cause I've done both and I'll tell you, it's, it's a lot more effective to just go to work and do your job. I, I, I can see that it also depends on your job. That's true. Being being a truck driver that spends most of my time alone, um, I, I will admit that over many years of this, too much time in your own head can also be something of a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah absolutely. I think, I think many of my comrades might also admit that. Yeah, that's interesting. Therapist as like zip file or tweet, you know, yep. just condensing. So you you, you went and, and studied psychology. And yep. you eventually get married, 
you eventually end up in Baltimore Metro and eventually end up in employment assistance and nonprofits. What did you find there? What I eventually ended up in uh, after working in the little nonprofit thing, I got into local government and I, I was in workforce development. That's the term. So if anybody in your audience wants to learn about this stuff, wants to see what's going on in their own state, wants to to know, and well, not even necessarily, I mean, yeah, it's state, but there's, there's state workforce development associations. There's local workforce development departments. It, I think every state does it a little bit differently, but uh, that's the, 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 the keyword search is workforce development. It was, um, I don't know, compared to the breakneck pace of helping people with the, at the, the charity that I was working at, it slowed down. Like j- just the, the volume that was expected of me wa- uh, was so much less, shockingly less, to be honest with you. And part of that might be the quote unquote labor market that we're in right now, um, where, you know, there's there's. Well, the, the 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 officially stated unemployment rate is what, like three, three and a half percent, something like that, which doesn't take into account, of course, workforce participation rate. There's there's very different numbers in that regard. It was just it was very, very slow, not a lot of work. I was accustomed to getting into to a workplace, you know, on days that I was helping people look for work. I was accustomed to getting in there at like, you know, uh, like eight o'clock. And working pretty much flat out until 5 p.m., you know, maybe like half hour here and there or like 15 minutes. But those breaks were taken up doing other things in, in, in the area, you know. And then all of a sudden in workforce development, it was just like it was like a ghost town. A lot of the people that I was working with, you know, they, they actually had better employment related skills or, or well, I don't know, soft skills, I guess you, you call them. They had better soft skills than most people I'd worked with at the uh, at the charity. Yeah, I don't know. What, what what I found was a a really there was there was a, a a very small portion of the people that I worked with that were absolutely ambitious. They were uh uh they had skills or at the very least they had interest in gaining skills. And that was maybe 5% of the people that I worked with. And uh, and and these were people that really honest to goodness just needed a boost. In, of one and kind when, or another. And when you say worked with, just to make sure we're clear on everything, oh, yeah. the, the people coming through this workforce development agency who are seeking employment, correct? Yeah. Yeah. These are, are people that are, um, well, so we, we, we had like two sort of broad populations. There were people that, that that had, that were kind of working, maybe like a little part-time or very low pay work that wanted to get uh, into something better paying or uh, wanted, you know, to, to, to increase their skill uh, in, in some way, gain, gain a new skill or, or, or you know, get a, a credential or something like that. And then there were what we call dislocated workers. And these are people that had been uh, uh, laid off from, from a job. Now, obviously, at the moment, we were not getting a lot of those as of about, I don't know, eight to 10 months ago, uh, we were not getting a lot of dislocated workers because, uh, the, the unemployment rate is so low and, uh, you know, I've heard, um, I've heard people, I've heard commentators claim that that official unemployment rate is fake as hell It is because of yeah. various factors, like, uh, people who've just stopped looking for work, uh, people who are making do like sort yeah. of, you know, let's, let's say you're long-term unemployed, but like, yep you live with family and you don't have to pay rent or worry about bills or you're living with a bunch of other people in the same situation and you've just 
you just sort of like had it with the economy or, or whatever, or maybe, maybe you got used to uh, COVID bucks, you know, like, were you doing any of this stuff through COVID? Did you see any changes because of that? Like, what do you, well, what do you, you know, it's, it, I, I didn't actually start in the field until COVID was, was in full force. So I, I got laid off about a year before COVID hit. And so for, uh, for about a year after that, I was just lost. Uh, and that's about when I, I reconnected with the church actually during that time, that, that, that year. And then the pandemic hit and, uh, uh, someone from church said, Hey, uh, this, this lady over at, uh, at, at this charity, she needs help uh, handing out food. And, and the, the guy that was asking me, he said, you know, I would go, but I'm not allowed because I'm too old. Cause of course the virus was just wiping out septuagenarians and droves. Uh, that was the, what they were telling us at the time. And so he said, I, I'm not allowed to go. Uh, so if, but you know, you're a younger fella. So uh, why, don't, why don't you go over there? And I was like, yeah, sure. And that that's really what got me hooked on uh, or not. Well, it got me hooked on, on, on the helping thing. It got me out of my own head and, and trying to be uh, something that I wasn't, you know, trying to trying to, to do jobs that, that were not right for me. It was uh, uh, helping this lady hand out food three times a week, you know, th basically three mornings a week. Uh, and then after a while, she said, oh, let me hire you. I, I, like I say, I volunteered there and, uh, and that was when COVID had started. So I can't really speak to, to workforce development before COVID. I do as, as my, my coworkers talked to me about it. Uh, they said that, that, yeah, it was definitely very different, but I mean, there were so many things that changed at once that it's hard to know. Like, I, I do know that that, that primary unemployment number they give us is absolute horseshit because part of my language, uh, no, go should, for it. I, go for right, it. Uh, <laughs> it's uh it is it's, it's it's bullshit because it doesn't take into well so there's this other term uh labor or workforce participation or labor participation rate which i'm sure you've run into and uh you know they, they break it down by different populations age groups and races and genders and all that stuff um but uh but basically our, our workforce participation rate is, is is it's lowest that it's been i don't know if it's ever but it's it's pretty darn low uh at least within the last i don't know 40 or 50 years or something like that so yeah we have a lot of people that it just fell off. The, I mean, frankly, you don't, you're not included in that main unemployment number. If uh, like, so the, the 3% or whatever they would give you, you're not included. I, I, I'm pretty sure you're not included in that. If you've exhausted your unemployment benefits, if you're not filing for unemployment benefits anymore, you're not included in that. That's, that's what that number really is, is the number of people that have filed for unemployment insurance, you know, and when I was unemployed, I was so confused by the unemployment system. Uh, and this is why I say I'm, I'm kind of a dumbass, but uh, I was so confused by the, the 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 state of Maryland unemployment system. I just I gave up on filing for it. I never got a dime, you know. Um, so there are a lot of people that just don't bother with it because it's 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 humiliating and confusing and uh, and demoralizing to, to try and get unemployment money. Wow, um, I've never I this is all news to me. And oh, really? The reason I brought you on. Well, you've never been unemployed, you know? No, I mean, I drive. If you can I, drive a truck, you can get work, right? Yeah. Well, yes, but there's yeah. deeper issues with that. But okay. like um, part of it's just, I don't know if it's just me or a pride thing, but like, I want to say I've never been laid off from a job ever. I mean, I've been fired from one. Um, <laughs> I've worked seasonally where the expectation is you show up, you work for a couple of months and then it's done and dusted and all that's fine. The only time I ever had trouble finding a job was in late 2008 after the crash. Um, yeah. I had been traveling that summer in Europe and I came home and everything had sort of fallen apart while I was gone. And it took me 
I don't know. It took me a couple of months to find a job. The guys I used to work for were really slow. They said they mm. could hire me back, but I would only get like one load a week or every two weeks, which wasn't going to be enough. And um, I never, I never filed for unemployment. I mean, I always saved money when I worked really hard and it just, just something about it struck me as like, why would you file for unemployment? Just work hard, find another job. Maybe that's, you know, my own Puritan work ethic programming I picked <laughs> up from my my dad and the rest of his family as a kid, you know? Yeah. But I, I have no idea how any of this stuff works, which is why I'm enjoying yeah. speaking with you about it. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, but yeah, and so it, obviously every state, like I say, every state tends to do these things differently. Uh, and even just the rate that they uh, award unemployment or like the, the, I don't know. So uh, I, I'm pretty sure in Maryland, it's like the max you can get is like 40% of, of your, your weekly that you were making when you were last working. And, uh, but that's like 40% with a ceiling, you know, obviously. So if you were making like, I don't know, say someone was making a hundred grand uh, a week or whatever, and they get laid off, it's like, you're not going to get 40 grand a week from, from unemployment anyway. But uh, so they have like a, like a cap and everything, but um in, in Maryland, it's uh, so they have like two websites that they use to run unemployment. Uh, and, and this is is the first huge mistake, in my opinion, uh, of how they run it is that they have two websites that supposedly talk to each other in some way. They have a website called Beacon that is sort of the nuts and bolts, the financial info, the uh, that's where you enter your uh, if you want direct deposit with your benefits, you enter your bank account on there. You file on there. That's where you actually do your filing for unemployment. You put like, yes, I looked for work this week. No, I didn't. I didn't do any paid work. I didn't collect any, you know, pension money, whatever. All yada yada yada. Um, that's one website. And then they have the Maryland Workforce Exchange, which is a separate website, completely like you know, different URL, different look to it, and everything. The Maryland Workforce Exchange is all in red. Because our hideous state flag, and any other Marylanders are probably going to want to crucify me for this, but the Maryland state flag is hideous, red and yellow and black and white. It's it's look it up. It's hideous. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, it, it's so it's that it's all those colors. And then Beacon is white and blue. Uh, and so it's 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 yeah. Anyway, they're, they're two separate websites. Maryland Workforce Exchange is where you go. Now they do have a handy search engine on there, so you can look for jobs. It's like say you're looking for a job as a forklift operator, you can go to their search engine type in forklift operator, they give you like 10,000 or more results uh, for whatever that is. Um, well, however many there, there are out there. And employers can register with that exchange, with that that website, they can register their job openings uh, and, uh, and you know, uh, cultivate relationships with that 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 website so that they can get their their results in there or their, uh, their, their postings and stuff. Anyway, but that's where on this separate website, that's where you log your work search activities. Because you don't just get unemployment for asking for it. You have to prove that you're looking for work. And you have to prove that that the jobs that you're looking for, uh, that you have submitted applications to them. So through Maryland Workforce Exchange is where they have the jobs, what is it, job contact and reemployment activity log. And so you put in, uh, you have to do three of these things. And I, I believe one of them, at least one, maybe two, has to be a job contact, which is either uh, an application or an interview. And this is every week. Uh, wow, and, one, so, and you can also take little seminars that count as reemployment activities. So what, what I'm hearing here is creating a couple of questions. Number one, two separate websites. Like, do you think that's done on purpose? 
cause confusion and or dissuade people from uh, applying for these benefits. And two, I, I, oh, this, sorry, this, one, this one website you're talking about where you have to log all of this search activity and find jobs and ostensibly they're recording every time you enter into it with your information. So it kind of acts as a quasi surveillance system so that they can keep tabs on you being unemployed. You're not, you don't even have a job yet and they're already watching you. Uh, maybe, yep. maybe, maybe that's a little bit like out in the, <laughs> maybe I'm being absolutely <laughs> No, uh, I, I will tell you because I, I had a login for the back end of the workforce exchange uh, and I, it might still work for all I know there. Uh, the, I'll tell you local and, and state governments. Oh, oh shit. Ran into my drill. Um, but uh, <laughs> local and state governments are very. Uh, uh, it, it, this is not comforting. I imagine to a lot of listeners, but your, your state and local governments are sometimes not very uh, careful and, and, and punctual about uh, permissions management access management to various amounts of, of data. So uh, uh, I haven't checked to see whether I can still get in on the back end of that system. But as of about a month ago, I was still able to get in anyway. Uh, but yeah, they absolutely monitor, uh, you know, they can tell when you've logged in, they can look at the IP address from which you logged in. Uh, and that is that is uh, absolutely I mean, they literally are. It, it's it's almost explicitly stated that it's it's surveillance because, yeah, they're seeing if you're looking for work. Or whether you're just sitting on your hindquarters uh, collecting those those unemployment checks, uh, and you won't get the check because that second website, the one where you log your reemployment stuff, it supposedly and usually does. I've, I, I've I've seen it fail, but more often than not, it works. It talks to the first website, and so when you go to file your 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 unemployment on on the first website, Beacon, when you go into that website, it'll say these are the reemployment activities that you did last week. Uh, are these accurate? Do you have any more to add? Yeah. So supposedly they do talk to each other, but explaining that to someone who's like, I had never been on unemployment before. Uh, and so when I applied and everything, of course they explain it to you, but like it being my first time doing it, I was not reading that stuff closely. I didn't understand that I had to do the, my, I just thought I had to look for work and I was, I was applying to jobs like crazy, uh, but I wasn't getting any unemployment and, and nobody ever asked me. You know how uh, I, you know I, how on Twitter there's just all these bots all the time and Musk, even though he's taken over, hasn't managed to get rid of them. And there's just, you know, there's all kinds of weird automated fuckery that goes on on the internet, right? Yeah. I would think that the people that make and manage those bots and scripts and programs, you'd think, you know, I'm just thinking of an opportunity here. Uh, make one that like automatically logs you in for all of this job search activity and then charge the unemployed like a, a subscription fee like hey give me 20 bucks and i'll make no, sure you smart. never i'll make sure you never have to log in i'll write a script bot to keep the so, so the state thinks it's surveilling you but it actually isn't because it's a script that's just doing everything for you and you go and smoke weed or hang out or do whatever you're gonna do i mean i don't know i'm just Enter, That's a real enter, opportunity for somebody. En enterprising mind, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that that would that would be a real opportunity. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought at first you were saying why do, why don't they make that kind of bot that the the state unemployment agencies would use? And I, and I was like, that goes back to your first question earlier. They don't do that because they don't want to give it out give out unemployment insurance. They they don't want to give that money. No, uh, no not. state 
unemployment agency wants to pay out. Uh, they want to make it as humiliating and discouraging a process as possible to get that money because what they want, and I mean, there's something to this. It's that they want you to get back to work. They want you to be to be out there making you know, a productive contribution to society, you know, in, in some way or another. They want you participating in the economy actively rather than collecting unemployment passively, which I get. But at the same time, there's no similar, uh, you know, uh, 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 incentive structure on, say, capital gains, which is also passive participation in in the economy. Like they don't they don't put that kind of limitation on that. It's It's just the stuff that like poor people need that they make it a real pain in the butt to get. And unemployment is, you know, it is insurance. It's it's not a benefit like uh, like SNAP or or something like that. Uh, SNAP is you know SNAP right? Food stamps. Yeah. But it's it's not a benefit like that. It is something that that as a worker you have paid into. It is insurance, you know. And uh, and so I don't think it's 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 ethical to make it like you know we don't make it basically impossible to file an auto insurance claim. You know, uh, it, it's it, there, there's insurance agencies that handle your auto insurance. So we have unemployment insurance. So it, it should be, you know, where, where's where's my freaking mascot? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Unemployment it, insurance. Yeah, it should at least be Give me an emu. It, it should have a, a similar ease of use and you shouldn't be shamed or confused. I mean, you know, you could compare it to health insurance, which has its own you know, Byzantine Ugh. bureaucracies and incentive structures that everybody likes to rightly complain about. But yeah, you're right. Like if you paid into it, it shouldn't be a problem to get back out, especially if you're forced to pay into it by the state. But That's right. as the, the, the point you made about, you know, they, they want you to get back to work. This, this comes to my sort of central question of where this unemployment trying to get people jobs and stuff filters into the trucking business oh yeah yeah I, i've been like i've been studying academic work on it and there's this meme in the trucking world about the driver shortage which has been around for a while and has been pretty thoroughly debunked but yep. deeper than the driver shortage meme is is the why and how is it that we can keep turning over people all the time and nothing mm -hmm. ever gets done about it. And at the bottom end of that, there always seems to be fresh meat. And yep. um, there's various ways in which that fresh meat is channeled into the trucking industry. Um, and at the bottom end, that means going through uh, a CDL school. And mm -hmm. uh, from what I've heard from you, there seems to be quite a component uh, of that from these uh, these workforce assistance programs run by municipalities and states. That's right. Yeah, that was the, the like CDL uh, training was like the number one thing that people came to us for. So they the way that people would come to us was uh, they'd file for unemployment and then they they uh, one of their their options for a, a one of, I was talking about those reemployment activities one of their options was to attend our uh, uh, like an orientation session, which was online. They used to be in person, but everything, of course, has moved online. But they can attend these these uh, orientation sessions about our services. And uh, in that, they learn about like, oh, OK, so uh, there's this money that is set aside by the federal government called uh, uh, used to be called the Workforce WIA, Workforce Innovation Act or something like that. Now it's WIOA, W-I-O-A, Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. 
but they learn about this funding, right? And this funding is, it comes from the feds uh, and then it filters down to the states and then that down to the, the localities, depending on how each state does it. I, I think some of them are, are pseudo private um, entities, the workforce organizations locally and stuff, but uh, uh, depending on the state and all that kind of thing. But anyway, it's the, it's the, the this, this big bucket of money that comes down from the, the federal government. And uh, and they, they learn about these these, uh, you know, training opportunities and, and you know, the, the, the training opportunities run the gamut from, uh, you know, yeah, obviously CDL training, both class A and class B. But uh, you can also get uh, training in I don't know, like project management professional. So if any of your uh, white collar listeners uh, who I would identify myself as one of them, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a hick, but also I, I recognize I'm a white collar guy. Uh, but yeah, if if you've gotten laid off and you want to look into upskilling, uh, you know, you, you look into your local workforce organization because you can get the feds to pay for you to get project management professional training. Or if you want to get into IT, you've never done IT stuff, but you're good with computers and stuff, look into uh, uh, IT training because there's, uh, you know, various uh, uh, training programs in uh, CompTIA. I don't know what it stands for. But it's uh, it's it's this uh, COMP TIA. Uh, so they have A plus training and security plus and network plus. That's your entry level tech training to become a tech support guy who picks up the phone and says, "Have you tried turning it off and back on again?" Okay, bye. <laughs> you know, that's your your entry level training for that. You know, and you can make good money doing that. That's your entry level into that field. But as you go from tier one and upward, I mean, you don't need a college degree to work IT tech support. Uh, and you can get pretty darn far in that field without uh, any kind of college degree. If you're at least a little bit good with computers, you can get this training and make your way into into that. Um, uh, so that's that's all these different trainings uh, uh, and, and medical stuff. If you want to be a CNA, you know, you can get uh, your, your training in being a certified nursing assistant. Uh, you can get phlebotomy, which is, you know, the spike in the vein stuff. So they, they have all these different training programs. But out of all, like I would say, I think I had uh, about 80 or 90 different training programs on one big spreadsheet that I made. But I I had, you know, just spotty other people, uh, all the other things, all the other different types of training. I had maybe one or two people for, for them. And then probably 80% of the people that came to me wanted CDL training. And they almost all wanted class A CDL training. And these are people that have never done any commercial driving before. They've just heard there's a driver shortage. Drivers get paid ridiculous sums. It, it, you know, is is what they hear. You know, they hear that that that, that a, a class A driver gets like ninety to a hundred grand a year. Yeah, right. <laughs> I see you grinning. Um, they hear that 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 uh, commercial drivers, uh, class A, you know, semi drivers. They're like, oh yeah, you get to be your own boss. You get all this stuff, and and they're so like, they that's bought, what I want to do. They they've been implanted the the narrative, as it were. Um, is yep. there, was there any other avenue by which they'd heard about this other than all of these blatantly false and patently <laughs> disprovable, uh, you know, stories they heard about trucking? Was there any was there anybody else incentivizing them to look into this? I'm not sure. I'll be honest with you. I mean, so like mostly a lot of people, it was like, oh, yeah, my brother uh, drives a truck. And he's been doing that for 20 years. And now he has like a, like a little fleet of his own, you know, like, uh, yeah, the one the one young lady I was working with. Uh, yeah, she said her older brother had it was like four or five uh, of his own trucks that he hired drivers to drive. And she was like, and he's making great money. I was like, yeah, because he's a business owner. You know, it's not the driving that's making him that great money. 
Uh, well, he's, but, he's, uh, he's, 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 he's a, you know, successful Kulak and, you know, m- many such cases, there's, there's lots of smaller guys around that do all right. Um, but I, I think yeah. the, the, the primary beneficiaries of the sort of CDL complex, as it were, are a lot are of the big the, guys, a lot of the bigger carriers where some yeah. of these folks end up. Um, I, I was wondering in, in, in your capacity as, mm-hmm a workforce, you know, placement guy trying to help these people out and they come to you and they're either, they, they want some suggestions or they have one in their head already to be, you know, CDL driver or project manager or whatever. Was it part of your purview to maybe act as a screener and feel out whether or not these folks would fit the particular jobs they were looking to get into? Like, was was that an official part of your job or maybe just something you had in the back of your head that, you know, maybe that's not for you? Yeah, that, that's a really good question because uh, a sort of on an official basis. So we were supposed to evaluate whether a position had demand, labor market demand. That was like one of the biggest factors. Obviously, we had like a sort of a basic skills assessment that we made everybody go through. And that was to see whether someone had sort of the, the uh, uh, well, and this is basic uh, reading and math skills. So we're not actually assessing whether someone can drive or not, uh, but we're, you know, assessing basic skills. So that between those two things and, and our kind of holistic, just sort of subjective evaluation of the person, is this someone that can succeed at the thing they want to do, at the thing they're saying that they want to get training in? Uh, and then, there, yeah, there were people that were just a lot like I had right before I left that organization, I had two uh, two people right in a row that were uh, had just been laid off and had been mortgage bankers uh, and they've been doing it for like decades uh, and, and mortgage banking. I mean, we think of it as like, oh, I work at, at uh, you know, at, at up in New York City or whatever at, at Chase or one of those things. Now, these were people that were like, you know, small time local. They, they just kind of wrote up mortgages, you know. Uh, but they both the two people that have been doing it for 20, 30 years, they were both laid off right around the same time. And and these are people that like they've been mortgage bankers for so long, it's like they can't even imagine doing anything else. And uh, and so in that case, it's not like, oh, is this person fit for this? Now, this is one where I was actually counseling a guy. I was like, you have people skills. You're of uh, an age where people see you as trustworthy and, and yada, yada, yada. This was a guy who was perfect for class B CDL work. He could have, you know, driven, uh, you know, uh, 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 charter buses and 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 uh, or trash trucks or, or whatever. This he was like a like a a gentleman, you know, and uh, uh, and I know all truckers are gentlemen, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but no, he was like he was he was a good dude, you know, and and clean record obviously for days. If you're going to be a mortgage banker, you can't have dirty record and everything. But uh, and and he was he was hesitant about it, you know. Uh, but I was like, no, you know how to drive. You've been driving for like like 30 years, you know, so uh, let's get you into into this class B thing. And you can do that off and on, you know, as you phase into retirement, you can come back for a couple of weeks at a time or work a couple of days a week or whatever. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, so to answer your question, I'm sorry, I tend to go on tangents um, to answer your question. Uh, the primary considerations were, can they do the job like on sort of a basic skills level? And is there labor market demand for the job? And uh, and that that was really and when it came right down to it, you're going to go with the path of least resistance in these situations. So like I had a young lady that was just absolutely insistent 
she wanted to do class A CDL training. And I was like, here are some reasons why that might not work for you. Uh, you know, she's got like three kids at home. She's a single mom. I was like, that's going to, you know, are you going to bring them along? <laughs> right. Like, you know, and some of them are babies, you know, like they're, they're, they're not, they're not like grown kids. They're like little kids. But, uh, and I was like, you know, maybe this isn't the right time for this. Maybe this isn't the right version of this field. Like you could get into logistics and not drive a truck, you know, but when it comes right down to it, if they're really insistent, like this young lady was, it's like, all right, we'll, we'll move ahead. All right. Let's, let's get the, the paperwork. And, and, going what, because and what does moving ahead look like? So what's the actual actions and procedure when you take someone from you and then put them to the world of CDL schools, how does that look? Right. Uh, well, it's um, be honest with you. By the time I, I, I don't think I had gotten anybody to that point. I was in that that I was in that field or in the the government version of that field for less than a year, uh, six months. About. I don't. I don't think I ever actually moved somebody on. But as I understand that process, we coordinated with the uh, with the, the the training provider. And, uh, and we got the check sent to them and then we just kind of turn the, the job seeker loose and say, okay, go to this school and take your, so your truck training. Your agency, you just said you send the CDL school a check. Yeah. So you, the agency is taking that pot of money you previously yep. discussed that comes down from on high from the feds. Yep. And now you're cutting a check to a CDL school. Yep. Based on in-person interviews with sometimes someone, in person, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes online. Yeah. Yep. Who your primary consideration is labor market demand, whether they can count and read and yep. having never seen them operate equipment or drive a vehicle. Oh gosh. No. Now, now one thing we did generally get, them I just want to make sure I've us. got this, I've yeah, got yeah. this straight because like, this is sort of how I understand it in like my yeah. negative view of these things. And I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm there's a I'm, little bit more nuance to it actually. So yeah, <laughs> I, I should, I should probably include that. Uh, so the, we, we had one guy that, that did most of the, the CDL stuff amongst our, our little work group at, at my location. He always made them get a driving record uh, from the state. So state, you know, gives you the report of the, the driving record. He made them get that. Uh, before he would sign off on sending to, to the, the 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 trucking school, and he also ran on his uh, his own time, or uh, you know, like uh, he didn't he didn't pay to have it done or anything, but he would run a background check, uh, a quick like, uh, not even uh, in Maryland it's case search, uh, so he'd run a Maryland case search on somebody's because a lot of uh, employers, you know, they'll say they'll hire you uh, regardless, or you know, is the, 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 they say that, that a criminal record doesn't disqualify you from employment, but. On paper, when it comes right down to it, they're going to pick the one without a, a criminal record, you know. But yeah, so those those are a couple of other steps. Yeah, get get, get you know, send me your, your driving report and send me or and and I, you know I'll do a, a a quick. But yeah, that that's really we certainly never saw them operate a vehicle. In fact, one young lady, she she came to drop off uh, some paperwork or something like that, and it was like two days before Christmas, and she dropped off this stuff, and I was like, I'm sorry, I. have can you come in? I need you to sign some stuff. And, and she, uh, yeah, you know, she came in and, uh, uh, when she went to leave her, her, her car was dead. Like the battery was dead. Apparently she had just been jumping her car every time she wanted to go somewhere. She was just getting a jump. And I was like, you know, you 
you probably want to get a new battery if you're having to jump it every time you want to start it. She's like, oh yeah, I'll do that eventually. And I was like, and I'm going to, now the upside with her is that she was trying to uh, defraud the government and, uh, and ended up not getting a penny out of us. So uh, other than a, a whole lot of time and effort, but she, Whoa. she had already been in training for uh, two months when she was trying to collect, when she was trying to convince us to pay for this, uh, this school, uh, she was like, oh yeah, uh, I, I, you know, she, at no point did she acknowledge that she was already in the school. Uh, so that was a big thing for us. We're not going to send a check. We're not going to pay for anything, you know, uh, 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 well, we don't pay after the fact. So you don't go through the school and then come to us for the money after it's like we pay up front and then, and then you go through the, the, the training. But, uh, anyway, yeah. Is there just out of curiosity, is there any accounting oversight with the amount of money? I mean, you do have, you had this example oh, yeah. of, of this fraudulent person. But like in in total, like a bigger picture accounting of all the money that goes through your organization, all of the training programs yep. you do help people with finance for, and is there do they analyze the success rate? So like people that oh, have yeah. been to your organization, got that money, moved on to a job. Um, do you follow up with them like six months later, a year later, like to see if they're yeah. a, still in that job B yep. if the money was well spent, like, is there any of that going on? Tons of it actually. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is, you know, sort of, uh, you hate to, you hate to give them credit for it, but part of the, 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 the funding from, from we owe a workforce innovation opportunity act requires that, uh, or workforce, uh, organizations, make a sort of a best effort for follow-ups for a year after the person exits the program. So it's not just a year after they go and, and start their training. It's after they've completed the training, you have to, you're, you're supposed to follow up with them quarterly and find out, are they still working? Uh, or did, for one thing, did they find a job? Are they still working? What are they making at their job? That kind of thing. So you, and, you, are, uh, you are collecting this data. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, well, you're, you're making a best effort. Some people just don't answer the, their freaking phones uh, or emails. Uh, oh, so, so it's it's, se it's self reporting from the folks that received the assistance. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you are allowed to. Uh, so th there's there's sort of back end ways to to find this out too. So like you're allowed to contact who they report as an employer. Um, they 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 technically sign a release for that, I believe. I never got this far because, like I said, I was only there for a certain amount of time. But you can also, they gave us, uh, so this is an interesting thing. Uh, we had a back-end access to, I was saying about those two unemployment websites. We had back-end access to both of them. I call it back-end. It's, it's, we had a uh, sort of ability to see records and things like that. So you had, you, you had uh, your own portal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was able to, through Beacon, the, the, the blue and white, uh, excuse me, blue and white website, I was able to see what they call wage reports uh, for people. So I could go in and when I was doing, I, I would do these follow-up things for, for uh, coworkers sometimes when I, you know, when they, when they would ask me to. And so I would go in into the wage report and I'd say, okay, this person exited the program at this date. And I could look at their quarterly wage report, how much they made in that quarter and who they'd, they'd uh, gotten paid by. Um, and so that's that's another way that we did the, the follow-ups. Uh, you know, it was sometimes you'd call, like, if you couldn't see anything on Beacon, you'd try and call them, you know, and, and say, hey, what's up? Why aren't you working? Do you need a hand? Can we give you, can we give you help making a resume? Can we give you some interview tips? Things like that. Because that's another thing that we did 
it wasn't just this WIOA funding. We were helping people with, yeah, like I say, resumes and and things like that. And and sometimes, I mean, I, I was a lot of time I was so bored. I would sit there and type in applications for people. It was oh, just, wow. Yeah. I mean, because, well, some people that would come in there, you know, if you're, if you're uh, I don't know, like 60 years old, you've only ever had like warehouse and, and, and uh, retail jobs. How much do you really know about a computer? Because you're used to filling out like if last time you 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 applied for a job was like I don't know like 1999 and now you're looking for work in 2023 uh you probably your applications you filled out on paper you know uh and now you got to type everything in so that's that's the kind of person that, you know if they weren't applying to work with computers I'd type in their applications for them sometimes which I almost always did have the time so anyway but yeah so we would follow up on this stuff and there is there's there's rigorous analytics about the rate of of employment after getting the training on what people are making after the training. And a lot of that is actually publicly visible, um, uh, at least for, for the state of Maryland, I can say. If you go into, uh, if you look for uh, what they call it, the Maryland Eligible Training Provider List, ETPL, you could just, I mean, honest to goodness, just just search for Maryland ETPL. There's like a, a list of, of all the eligible training providers, in uh in 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 the state of Maryland and so you can look at each one and a lot of the time now not all the training providers have this uh and so an eligible training provider would be like a trucking school and you can look they give you metrics for like percentage of people that graduate the program or or that complete the training percentage of people that are employed at quarter 1 quarter 2 quarter 3 uh so there there is metrics but I, I was surprised by by some of the providers that that uh, uh, the data was like way out of date on there. Like like some of them, it was like they didn't have anything since like 2015. You know, interesting. Um, well, I appreciate that info. Cup, couple of examples. There's a lot of washout with trucking because oh yeah. you know people come to you or they go to a truck school recruiter directly. However, they get there, they come to find out that. It's not as it was advertised. They spend yep. a few weeks or months out on the road. And then the sort of non, non-work non aspects of the job get into their head. Time away from home, frustration, the sort of, you know, the, the, the psychological warfare that goes mm-hmm. along with being considered useless. Like you show up at some distribution center, you sit there for six hours waiting to get unloaded. You don't get paid for it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, after after so much of that, you know, people start the internal dialogue questioning the choice they've made. A friend of mine and fellow trucking Twitter guy who runs a podcast, my buddy Justin, he when he got into trucking, he went to Schneider's own trucking school. I can't remember mm-hmm. how he ended up in it, but when he the day he showed up, he was in a class of 87 people yeah. first after the first few hours or couple of days, like when they you know, they test your medical stuff. There's a bunch of hoops you have to jump through to qualify and people start getting dropped immediately. And then there's, you know, several weeks of training and then they go out on the road and there's only so many people that actually graduate the program. And 12 months later, after all of that, Justin out of 87 people in that class was the only one still trucking. No way. That is one hell of a washout rate. That is. Yeah. And in and, and this book that yeah. I reference often, uh, Big Greg, Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream by a fellow Pennsylvania guy, Steve Vichelli. He teaches at UPenn in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. He studied 
the labor market economics of trucking for 10 years to try and figure out why all this stuff is happening. I mean, it was published in 2016. Factors are a little different now, but he found the same thing. The washout rates were just incredible. And, you know, your agency and the government in general are focused on labor market demand. They're focused on this question. Where does the market, where does the economy need people? But I don't, I get the impression they're not following up on the on the why they need people and yeah. looking at these washout rates. And I would imagine this probably applies to other jobs. You know, like we're always forever talking about, you know, um, uh, migrant farm workers and all these Mexicans that come here. And it's like, OK, cool. Why, why do these jobs suck so bad that locals won't do it? How many of those people are washing out? You know, it wouldn't just apply to trucking, but like. Trucking's a pretty egregious example because oh, yeah. of this narrative of a driver shortage. And they just keep turning through people all the time and nobody ever stops to ask why. And I think the Bingo. government, you know, if they're going to keep shoveling money at organizations like yours, and, and it's not necessarily bad, like people need job training and they need opportunities. That's, that's, that's not necessarily the problem, but like the, the effectiveness of this so that you you don't have to maybe spend so much money and maybe if it, it acts as like a perverse incentive right so 100% you know, i i like to call it stealth corporate welfare and it's stealth because it's not thought of as such but the 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 trucking companies become so dependent on these training regimes being subsidized in some way by the government but that subsidy isn't looked at in that way. It's called job training. You're helping people. Yep. So therefore it's good. You know, it speaks to the American, you know, proclivity. Everybody has to have a job. Everybody has to be employed. It's like the number one thing anyone ever think about jobs, 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 which is fine in and of itself. But you have to have some criticism of the system where the money's going. And like, if the job sucks, and it's costing the taxpayer all this money to keep throwing people at it. Maybe like we have an incentive to say, hold on a minute. Maybe, maybe these people who claim to be free market, you know, these corporations, these big trucking companies need to tighten up their own operations. So they're not constantly going through these people who are like in an underhanded sort of way are being given money by the government in order to finance all this. Right. Uh, no, I, I, is, does I, I that, hear you. Does that, does that, like in your experience in that field, does anybody ever ask these questions? Like, do the people no. above you, the managers, no. the people between your agency and the feds, is anyone asking this question at all? I can't speak to the people between my agency and the feds because I was bottom rung. I was, I was entry level. But I can definitely tell you that the incentives for management, and I had a very top heavy management structure. I, I think it was, it, I don't know. It, it, it's the old joke that, uh, that office space office. Yeah. Office space. Me. I have nine bosses, Bob. And I did, I had, I, mean, I don't know about nine, but I had, I had a very dense structure of management above me and nobody was asking about, are we actually meeting labor demand? Are we actually, uh, are, are is what we're doing or are we doing what we say we're doing? I guess uh, there was very little of that. It was all about and 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 you know it's it's intuitive in in, in terms of uh, give me the the performance incentive or give me the performance metric uh, that you want. Well, the government wants us to do so many 
referrals to to services from the 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 WIOA thing. No, they want so many referrals to that. Okay, fine. We'll get you all the all of those that you want. Everybody that comes through, we're going to refer them to WIOA services. That's that's as simple as it is. It's you know, we'll find ways to 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 make the numbers work out. And so that's all our management. They were very tunnel vision focused on uh and leadership in particular was very like with tunnel vision focused on just those specific metrics. And I, the question I kept asking that, that kind of, you know, uh, ruffled some feathers is how would we get truck drivers if, uh, how, how would we train, how, how would truck drivers become truck drivers if we were not sending people to these, these CDL schools and quote schools, uh, as you call them, uh, CDL mills. And, and, and it was a very, uh, sensitive, I mean, nobody ever answered it basically. Because uh, it, it, they, I think that what they wanted us to think was that without the CDL schools, there would be no truck drivers. And it's like, but that's that's patently false, right? Because these things haven't existed forever. I mean, we had we had truck drivers for a long time before there were there were CDL mills in every town. Yeah, you know? the, the train the training regimens were much different in the past. There's some people that are going to come through it organically, like I did, because my grandpa mm-hmm. was a trucker, my dad and my uncles were truckers. I just, yeah. I, I kind of fell into it and, you know, I never, I didn't go to a CDL school. I, I learned yeah. on the job. I worked at a trucking company after school when I was in high school from the bottom up, greasing trailers, fixing flatbed decks, helping mechanics. Yeah. I kind of learned it through osmosis and something interesting. I, I don't know if you're still in that area, but under the Biden infrastructure act, whatever they got passed mm-hmm. here a year or two ago. Um, they, they, they're, they're trying to do this thing where they are going to, um, build, a an apprenticeship program for CDL drivers, specifically younger ones, if you're 18 and there's been lots of criticism of that and discussion about it, but I'm going to set that off to the That's side. The best way to learn. Oh my gosh. Apprenticeships are, they, those were like the flagship thing. Uh, like I, I, so I see this all over the place. Apprenticeship models are, are, for almost all jobs, uh, not just trucking, like, uh, well, if you look at graduate training, like training uh, to, for people that are getting a PhD, it's it's apprenticeship. You, know, you take some classes here and there, but mostly what you do is uh, you do scut work for your your graduate advisor. You you do their dirty work. Uh, you run all their experiments. You you do all this stuff, and in exchange, you learn from them. And by the time you're done with that apprenticeship, uh, you're ready to you know, become a journeyman and then you're ready to become a master and stuff like that. Uh, and, but you're, instead of crafting, you know, horseshoes and stuff like that, you're crafting uh, science or, or, or scholarship and stuff. Anyone who's, who's been to school for something will tell you, okay, I learned a few things, but my actual training was when I started doing the job on the job training is, is absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if Biden actually came through with a, with an apprenticeship model for learning how to drive a truck, That'd be like one of the like two good things I've seen the dude do. Well, I mean, the, the devil is always in the details, and I would uh, have I would have very specific recommendations for how that looks. From what I've read and what I've seen, uh, maybe not structured the way I would do it, but I don't know. Yeah. But one of the points I was trying to get was another thing oh, they're sorry. doing is they're making it basically, I don't want to say illegal, but they have closed off in a way the old model of on the job oh. training like I did because they've now made it a requirement 
when you go to the DMV to actually apply for your government issued CDL, you are not allowed to do that unless the person you trained with is registered with the government and has passed their own requirements to be a CDL trainer. So like I could go, like somebody could go and learn from their dad or whatever and have years under their belt of riding around uh, that doesn't they don't they don't recognize that the the informal training is no longer recognized you must go through someone who has met these requirements now so he made it worse well he made it worse in a way I, I don't know how that's all going to shake out but what it does do is it in, it basically funnels people into it forces them into going through the sort of CDL school area, because those are all the people that are certified, you know, like, you know, uncle Bob that's been trucking for 30 years probably isn't going to go back and get CDL trainer certification just to train two of his nephews. Right. Like, so it's another corporate welfare. It, well, I don't know about corporate welfare, but it's certain. No, it is because, because the corporate welfare was, was the, 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 you know, Funding these these CDL mills through the WIOA funding was one form of corporate welfare. That's the stealth core. And now they're they're funding the the trainers themselves uh, by by like essentially making it so that, that you have to. Oh, hi. Yeah, this is, this is Georgia. She just woke up. Hey, Georgia. Oh, she can't hear me because you're on the headphones. OK, yeah. <laughs> I'll just make faces. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't know. Yeah. It, you might want to call it corporate welfare. I just, it's, it's, it's an unnecessary barrier to entry that cartel, it further entrenches the cartelization of the CDL yeah. school system, right? It just gives them another advantage over previous informal systems. Now, mind yep. you, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate for why they've done this because there are, you know, there are a lot of dodgy operators in the, in the sort of trucking school industry, fly-by-nighters, um, guys that like might, you know, they, they, they might be that Kulak that's got seven or eight trucks and they're also having a hard time and maybe they they just throw people in and hope they get their license and then, you yep. know, they're not, they're not very, they're not doing a very good job either. Um, that's definitely a possibility, but I don't know that completely closing it off to everybody is the answer to that. And yeah. uh, as I said, I had some recommendations for how an apprenticeship would work. And one of my recommendations would be that we institute a graduated licensing system. Oh, yeah. In um, many other countries do this, Australia, New Zealand, um, I think in the UK and Europe, there might be one as well, but I'm not sure. But like in Australia and New Zealand, you cannot just go to truck driving school and skip straight to getting your their equivalent of a CDLA. You must have a CDLB for one year. You have to yep. hold that license. I've heard from us from my friends in Australia that they don't do a very good job of tracking whether or not you actually did any CDLB trucking in that year. But what it does do is a lot of the freight companies in Australia have these uh, really interesting distribution systems where all the interstate stuff going from like Brisbane to Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, in between all the cities, they have distribution centers of their own where the guys coming in with the, you know, 
the B doubles, the single trailers, they come in, they unload, and then everything goes on little trucks to get delivered. And all those little truck guys is where they mostly get their candidates to be big truck guys. So it yeah. does actually create those two tiers and it forces people to be trained for at least a year on that CDLB before you graduate to CDLA. And the problem we have here in the United States is that it's backwards. So yep. you go to CDL school, however you got there, if you paid for it yourself, you took a loan from the school, you went to the government and had them pay for it. They throw you off the deep end in your OTR right away. And then what happens is after several years of experience, maybe you try and graduate back to working local so that you're home every night and you can be with your family. And that's actually hard because all of those jobs are actually the desirable ones. Yep. And because, because you're home and you can actually mm -hmm. participate in your community and something a lot of people don't know, and this is not part of the narrative they sell to the people who come to you is that the local jobs and, and this is like, this is really terrible. The local jobs actually pay less because there's this like um, ingrained mentality in the trucking industry and how it pays is that it's a benefit to be at home. Oh, you yeah. get to be home every night. We're only going to pay you 70% of what you used to be paid or 50%. Yep. Right. The cost, the, the really disgusting thing about it is the cost of the truck is the same. The operating cost, of a truck that drives over the road or a truck that like circulates around a local area is exactly the same. The fuel costs the same. The insurance is the mm -hmm. same. The truck payments are the same. All of those costs are exactly the same. But if the driver's arrangement with that company stipulates that they're a local driver, boom, they just cut your pay. Yeah. It's just an understood part of the yeah. financial mechanics of the industry which is perverse because yeah. usually what ends up happening is the local guys are the ones that have gone through the filtering system of going OTR first, discover yep. that that lifestyle is not for them. And then they try and go local and now they're, now they're taking a pay cut. And the only reason they're taking a pay cut is this perception. Like, oh, you sleep in your own bed every night. It's, yeah. it's, it's completely ass backwards. And I mean, it has all these associated costs. Um, a lot of truck drivers who are new cause most of the accidents. You know, there's been studies done on this that like experience is a factor in, you know, it's some ungodly number of collisions and incidents which take place. And, you know, it, 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 it that's a, like, in, there's a term called externalities where mm -hmm. um, a, a, a company or an industry uh, are, are not carrying the cost of their operations because that cost is now being carried either by insurance companies or society at large, you know, be, because they just don't care about the effects of what they're doing has. Right. And there's nobody forcing them to do that. So anyway, pardon the rant. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's fantastic. That's why I listen to your show. Yeah. The, 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 it, it does seem like, I don't know. It seems like everybody is getting a way for the taxpayer to all, all the big players are, are finding ways for the taxpayers to support them. It's the trucking companies getting support from the taxpayers in that they don't have to train their truckers anymore because they got these these uh, training mills that do it. Uh, it's the the, uh, uh, the 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 training mills themselves are getting support from the government 
by you know uh, 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 arrangements that 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 make non truck truck school arrangements, uh, whether it's a, a, a trucking school through through a trucking company itself or through uh, 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 through the, the school, or uh, you know, it's the only arrangements are are now through this funnel that that, that the, the government has created, and all these funnels are are ways for money to go to certain players and it's certainly not going to the drivers and it's certainly not, not, uh, 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 going to the customers even, you know, like the people that the drivers are delivering to is just, it's money that's sucked out and, and given to, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But, no, no. Uh, and, and again, there's, there, there's, there, there's exceptions to this rule. If you're in a niche trucking market, like hauling hazardous materials, fuel, something that's a bit yeah. more specialized, you can still have a local job and it'll, it'll pay all right. And then sometimes it'll match OTR or exceed it in a small number of cases. But again, mm -hmm. you don't make rules for the exception, right? Yeah. What, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned something earlier, which is related to trucking forklift operators, every oh, distribution yeah. center, every warehouse, every refrigerated warehouse, every way we move freight and supply chains not only does that material go on a truck or a boat or a train, it gets handled often mm -hmm. many times in that chain coming in and out of the container, in and out of a trailer, throughout a factory or distribution center by forklifts. And one of the questions, I, I got to get somebody from the distribution center industry on one of these days because it's specifically in the freight market, like van trailers, moving stuff on pallets. Yeah, yeah those guys get abused the most of their time because they're always waiting at distribution centers, which throughout my entire career in trucking and for as long as I can remember, just have never got their shit together to try and get trucks moving faster. Obviously there's yeah. some players in that market who do, you know, again, a small minority, but yeah. we have this uh, detention time thing. And maybe can, can you, can you speak to like forklift operator, as a job title and where that fits into what you were doing forklift operator is uh it's basically so like forklift certification i don't know if you've ever had it um yes i have yeah so like uh, not a ton goes into getting forklift certified right like it's not like uh it's not like a like a school you know like it's it's basically somebody shows you how to work the forklift you do some stuff with it they make sure that you know how to do the stuff you know how to answer like the questions on a little quiz and that's forklift certified. So I think, uh, I, I don't necessarily think that the professionalization of that, like creating a centralized authority for forklift certification or forklift licensing. I don't think that's necessarily the answer because every warehouse is going to work a little bit different. And I don't know that you could have a central training authority or, or training standard even for that. I didn't actually work with many, and, and maybe this is an expression of the labor market for forklift operators. I think I only worked with one person that was uh, a, a former forklift operator because, uh, uh, and in his situation, he was, he was checking boxes. Like he, I, he could have gotten a job working a forklift overnight. Uh, he got laid off from some job and he was like, I, I could get a job working forklifts like probably tomorrow. He's like, I want to keep collecting unemployment until my disability comes through. The guy had, he had like a terminal disease. Uh, so it's, it's, it's funny, but not funny, but funny. Uh, not terminal. I, I shouldn't say he did have a legit deb debilitating disease. Yeah. Right. Uh, can I, can uh, I go on a minor tangent here and maybe you can help me confirm this because it's something sure. I've heard and read and I don't know if it's true, but that there's a, an ungodly number of people 
in the United States who are on some variation of long-term disability assistance, oh, maybe yeah. from the state or the feds. Like, can, can oh, you yeah. speak to that or the numbers at all? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure about the numbers exactly, but uh, there is a form of, uh, uh, and, and I don't know that it would even be called long-term disability. It's, it's under our social security administration, uh, social security disability. There's a form of that disability that is probably the easiest one to get because getting disability is not not necessarily easy in this country. It's uh, it's interesting that that uh, and this is a bit of a, a side side tangent here, but uh, as they closed off pathways to collect welfare in the United States, uh, at the same time they did that, all of a sudden a whole lot more people were applying for Social Security disability because there is a, a subset of the population that's going to find a way to collect money without working. Honestly, like that's also the, the the capitalist class or whatever you want to call it, the investment banker class, or whatever. But anyway, so uh, but there's this type of Social Security disability where you get uh, I think it's 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 probably regionally locked. I don't I'm not sure about that, but it was like here in Baltimore, uh, the ba greater Baltimore area. I think it's like 850 or something like that a month uh, that you collect with with that amount that you're making. You're allowed to work up to 20 hours a week. If you work more than 20 hours a week, you start losing your disability you, you, or not your not the disability itself. You lose the disability uh, benefit. But there are a ton of people that have this. And and I, I've worked, you know, not not when I was in, in the, the local government, but when I was at that little charity, I would say more people than not that I worked with had this form of of, uh, of, of benefit, had this this like 850, 900 a month that they were collecting. And they were like, yeah, I want a part time job on top of this. And I would go through everything I, I would you know i jumped through every hoop i could for these folks because i did i want them to, to, to be making better money you can't really live on on that much i mean maybe if you got three or four people like that sharing a you know a, a small apartment maybe you can make ends meet you know but uh but it's real hard to to make it work with with that much a month and so i was like okay i want this person to have a better life and so i jumped through all these hoops i you know, I, I, I even had people that I'd come in on a Sunday, you know, and work with them on, on a, a, you know, like a Sunday afternoon, getting all their onboarding paperwork done. And then they wouldn't show up for the job or they'd show up for the job and, you know, piss off the wrong person and, and get fired on, on like their first day or they'd show up late and all this stuff. And I'm like, what is going on with this? And I eventually I had one very, very honest man talk to me. He's like, you know, Joe, I'm going to stop wasting your time trying to get these part time jobs said because nothing and he was a former addict or a recovering addict i should say and he said because i'm starting to realize that this social security disability is just like the stuff i used to use there is nothing that tops the high of getting this free money and uh well i mean obviously getting drugs would be <laughs> be better but you know, he said in terms of like you know working it's like why would i like and he says i i find myself at these jobs and i'm i'm asking myself why would i do this, this, you know, five hours of menial labor, washing dishes, I get 800 some dollars a month for doing nothing except, you know, convincing a doctor that I was partially disabled. And, and so, you know, and not to sound like a, like a, you know, arch conservative here, but that, that form of disability payment is, or disability benefit, it really, instead of a safety net, it does end up being, I mean, the, the, the analogy fits, it ends up being more of a hammock. And uh, instead of a safety net, you know, and like uh, if I may, if I might make like yeah. a broad stroke implication in this question, how how many what percentage, how much how much of the people that came through your organization 
would qualify to be part of what Marx called the lumpen proletariat, you know, like people that are like, you know, may, may, maybe that arch conservative boomer con type person that listened to Rush Limbaugh might call them a no hoper, you know, oh. um, you know, the, 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 the people that are just like, for, you know, not, not to be judgmental, but like, they're just not cut out for work at all. I don't know. It, it, it's tough to say, like, by the time they got to me in that location, probably about half, about half of the people that I worked with. And that, that was at the charity. Now, when I was at, at the, the workforce development uh, agency or department or whatever you want to call it with, with the local government, that was almost none. Those were people that were work ready. They had skills. Uh, they had transportation. They had their, their business together enough that they could make it two places and uh they had their paperwork you know like these were work ready people they were now they, were, they the, were trying they 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 had it you know yeah yeah exactly they were making the effort uh whereas the people that i worked with at the charity those are people that were i mean almost none of them had cars uh they were almost all relying on public transit and uh, and sh- and the shoe leather express as they called it they uh uh those were people that yeah i'd say probably at least half of them were like I, I'm, I'm not like a theory guy. I've, I've never read a page of theory in my life. But from what I understand of the lumpen proletariat, as you describe it, yeah, it was probably about half or more. And the thing is, a lot of them weren't originally that. That's the the, the crazy thing. People would would graduate into that that category. It seemed like because you know uh, I, I was looking at the work history of this one guy. He was a merchant marine for like like 25, 30 years. Uh, he had served in, I believe, I believe it was the Korean war, very much, much older fella. he had served, I think in the Korean war and, uh, uh, and then had gone right into merchant Marines. He did that for 25, 30 years. He had a nice little retirement. And then, you know, when he ended up with me, it was cause he was like, well, I, I need more spending cash. I want to be able to, uh, 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 you know, give more, more presents to my, my grandkids and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. But uh, and then I didn't see the guy for, again for about six months. And when he came back in, he was in a real bad state. Well, it turns out he had met some woman and started using again, because I guess when he was much younger, he had a uh, some kind of uh, opioid uh, habit and he'd oh met some some young woman and had started using again. And so he rapidly graduated. I mean, now, I don't know, maybe it was it was age plus disease and stuff. But I saw a lot of examples of people that had had great, you know, not, I wouldn't say great careers, but had stable careers. I'm trying to think of a better example. Oh, yeah. A guy who had been working at a hospital for like uh, 15 years as like a dietary clerk, which is, you know, that's that's the person that brings you your tray of food. An incredibly important person in that operation, even though hospital food is, is the butt of many jokes. Uh, it's still you got to eat while you're there. And this this dude had done that for like 15 years, but because of addiction and uh, and and you know various challenges surrounding that, he basically graduated into an unemployable population or or, or someone that yeah that that work was just not going to work for him. And uh, we kept trying different things with him. I mean, he was uh, yeah we tried to put him in stuff like you know other hospital roles like uh, patient transport and things like that, but he couldn't finish the training for that stuff. Because he wouldn't show up because he'd be on the nod, you know. It, it was it was it was depressing to see the way these communities had been hollowed out, you know. And and sometimes, you know, sometimes it was someone that just made bad choices, but a lot of times it was it was also just uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, I, I can see there's probably a whole other crossover tangent we could discuss for hours about um recent 
economic policies, opioid epidemic, um, yep. what, what's going on in you know rural America. That's that's oh, a whole God, other yeah. show. That that's a whole other. <laughs> that's all the podcast <laughs> or years of study and discussion yeah but, um man th- th- thank you very much for all of this uh yeah yeah no problem i appreciate you having me on it's it's uh it's like i say it's been it's been great listening to you it, it gives me a, a little more insight into the now that I'm, I'm no longer in workforce development i'm still helping with 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 employment stuff but it gives me a little more insight into that world of uh you know, and like I said, I'm a white collar nerd. So, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to, to learn a little bit more about sort of the real world out there, you know? Well, I mean, you know, there's what we hear out in the zeitgeist and there's narratives and there's things that somehow get sometimes or often enough are mislabeled as common sense or common understanding, which can be based on misinformation to borrow a term from today. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, one of the, one of the things, again, I've been in the business my entire life and I'm just trying to understand why it functions the way it does. And, you know, th- there's an old guy way of doing that, which is just yapping with other truck drivers at the truck stop or, you know, a, a warehouse or on the CB, <laughs> on the CB, wherever. And I mean, that, that, that will also box you in to a certain mm-hmm a certain type of uh, uh, discourse and discussion that's not taking in other outside factors or other study, which, you know, has led me to read guys like Vichelli and uh, Michael Belzer. And I'm, I'm going to be speaking with Karen Levy here soon um, on her book on data driven, which is all the surveillance stuff that's been coming on. And there's just all these Man. different factors which affect the business. And like I say, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, cut, cut through, the narrative nonsense and find out what's actually going on and having someone like yourself, who's been part of the, you know, training complex and putting people yeah. into the meat grinder that's trucking has been um, very enlightening and very helpful to that. And I appreciate glad. your time. Yeah. I'm glad. One other thing I did want to mention, um, I helped a guy who had already been through one of these diploma or not diploma CDL mills. Uh, I helped a guy, he was trying to study for his test, uh, his CDL test. And I saw uh, through his training documents, and I think they even had a website, a sample. What are they, that, that electronic device they put in the truck that makes you log every freaking thing you do every time you oh, take an e, ele- every- electronic logging device, ELDs. ELD, that's it. Yeah. And uh, I saw that thing and I was like, like the, just the training version of it that they had uh, for him to use. I was looking at that thing and I was like, this is insane that they are tracking. I, I I, was like, oh yeah, there probably should be some level of oversight, blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm thinking in my head. I think if most people saw the number of, of button pushes, so to speak, that you have to make on those, th- well, not you, because I, you don't, I don't think you have to use one at your current gig, but the number of button pushes people have to make on those things. I think most people would be like, this is insane. You, you have no respect for truck drivers. I don't think people, I think we'll just have no idea how much, of that like surveillance and like, I don't know, like bu- bureaucratic nonsense well, is involved a, in truck it's driving. A, it's, a, it's a, it's a form of infantilization um, yes. that's downstream of the fact, you know, and th- this is a whole other podcast, you know, about like yep. uh, high trust versus low trust societies, you know, the, the, the safetyism, uh, the influence mm-hmm. of insurance companies that, I mean, you know, yeah, I could go on. But yeah, the, the the ELD mandate looms large in all of this as well. 
And maybe that's, you know, if, if somebody in your position, I mean, you're not doing that exact job anymore, but if someone's yeah. working at a local employment agency funded by the state, the feds, whoever, and you know, the, so many of the people coming through your door are getting shunted to CDL mills, maybe in the interests of transparency and honesty, they should also tell people, by the way, uh, as part of the deal with this job, there's going to be this little screen in the truck that you have to report to and tell, and it tracks every move you make. It tracks when you go to sleep, you have to enter all this information in it. If it's not correct, the government can give you a fine and it's on and tracking you everywhere you go. Uh, maybe that might dissuade people from coming, but again, yeah, you know, if, if you did that in a, in an employment agency and actually, spoke truth about what you were getting into you'd probably get fired because now you're not actually moving people to jobs but yep that i think that's very much the case yeah the, the uh the 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 um the other thing i'm sorry and i'm, I'm remembering stuff that i had wanted to bring up no but, keep uh, going this is uh 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 there's a ton of variability in those cdl like there there are legit cdl mills and then there are programs that that actually do seem to be geared around creating a driver or, or training a driver that is ready to, to, to go on the open road. And th there's the two extremes that, that come to mind for me. There was one school that was out right near where I worked that uh, they would have a hundred or more students in one classroom online. So honest to, to, to goodness. Yeah. A lot, of, a, a large portion of their training was just what we're doing now, but with 120 or whatever faces on the screen at the same time. And uh, or not even their faces, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was just the, the instructor's face up there. And that was a ton of their training was just, you know, and, and of course, they were the lowest priced one in the area. Uh, and and they, they had frequent enrollments. Uh, and so they, they uh, uh, in addition to so they, they had basically the perfect setup to cycle our money in and out of there uh, or not out our money into there. And not necessarily train someone that was even ready to drive. I think they had very little actual road time. Uh, it was almost all this online stuff. So that was one extreme. And then there was another school that was, uh, you know, um, not e not even all that far away from us. But this place uh, cost twice or more than twice our allowance. So we had like a $5,000 cap that we could uh, pay for a training uh, course with. $5,000 uh and only for clock hours, never for credit hours, which there's doesn't matter. It's meaningless distinction for, for now. But anyway, uh, but this other place uh, was more than twice that. I think they were like 12 grand or something like that for their training. And it was a long training. It was like 36 weeks or more. It might have even been it, it might have been even closer to a year than that. Anyway, but included in their training was a classroom section. And then they had uh, I think it was like. I think it was like six months worth of supervised on the road training. So sort of like that apprenticeship model that we were talking about six months of, of not, not enough of an apprenticeship, obviously, but six months of on the road, supervised on the road driving experience. Uh, and granted that's, you know, that, that they're paying for that. Obviously the, the, the that's students that, are paying. That, that's fantastic. Well, yeah. I mean, another, another way it's, it's not all corporate welfare. Um, you yeah. know, there, there are systems where, you as the trainee will sign on 
to a loan given to you by a credit company that's also owned by the trucking company or the CDL right, yeah. school, but comes with significant strings attached, 25% interest. You know, yep. you're locked into working for these guys. I mean, I guess that's an arrangement. It's not something I would sign up for. No. But, um, you know, the, the, the example you just gave sounds to me like trucking's no longer very well represented by unions. That's another discussion. Yeah. But the LTL section, like guys like Yellow Freight and all that, they're they're organized by the Teamsters, and the Teamsters are heavily involved in that, like who gets to come work there, right? They are involved in the training. They are involved in all that stuff. A friend of mine just sent me an ad recently from where he lives down in Virginia by one of these LTL freight companies that is unionized, and it looks more like what you just described and it, and then and they actually pay you. Um, yeah. I, I think part of that though, is that you have to sign up to become a teamster right away. So yeah. there's that component of, of the contract, but that's, you know, that's what we would like to see more of, you know, like somebody with their eyes on you for the first six months, you go home every day. So you don't have the stress of like thinking about your kids or your life or whatever. Yep. You're on the other side of the country after you've only done a six week course and then got turned loose running the road that, that yeah. six months being in the seat with somebody next to you, slapping you every time you do something wrong and downloading <laughs> their lifetime of driving experience into right. you while you're learning that's the model that we'd like to see more of. It's just yeah. unfortunate that that example you gave is small percentage. Oh yeah. And it costs a lot. And, and the, the crap, that was like the best program. They were the gold standard. They are, they're the gold standard in this area. I mean, how about I, cause, cause people know I'm in the Baltimore area. I'll go ahead and give them a shout out. All state trucking, all state uh, truck school. Um, fantastic program great reputation uh and they really do prepare drivers now they do charge more um but uh 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 they they are unfortunately the exception rather than the rule uh like you say and uh uh the other the other good programs that i hear about sometimes uh some of them are good are uh, at community colleges uh so like um i'm trying to think i think it's it's uh it's well it's it's, it's one of the community colleges in the, in this area is known for having a really good uh, CDL training program, and they're more affordable because they're they're you know partially government funded in the first place, and then the the money from the the uh, the, the federal government can help to to cover the rest. Uh, right. So yeah, yeah but... I, I've been meaning to get on. There's a there's a, a community college near me, Broome County Community College, which is more uh, over towards Binghamton, and then there's a a statewide community college, uh, more skills, trades, training, uh, network called, um, uh, I think it's called BOCES here in New York state. And okay. there's a BOCES school where the, there's a guy who organizes a truck show every year in Norwich, oh, nice. New York, and he's working with BOCES on their training program in an advisory capacity, him and a bunch of good old boys that sort nice. of think like me and want to see the industry get better. Unfortunately, this gentleman's notorious at not answering his emails, so uh, I haven't yeah. got him on the show yet, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> to be determined. But yeah, anyways, yeah. Joe, thank you so much for your time, man. We've gone like an hour and a half on this, which is amazing. I was worried <laughs> I wasn't going to have enough for half an hour, man. 
I no, appreciate no, it. Uh, it the, 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 once you get rolling, it's it's very easy to very easy to bring out the content. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, yeah, great talking to you, and I'll uh, I'll catch you around. All right, man. Way of the road, Bob. Oh, and I don't have anything to promote uh, except uh, if you haven't been to church in a long time, drop in. It might be better <laughs> than you remember. What what a great message for a Sunday morning. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Okay. Thanks, Take care, Joe. brother. Bye bye.